Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Carlos Hawthorne and I'm a staff writer at Resident Advisor. Our guest this week is Jose Padilla, who along with a small handful of others is considered one of the founding fathers of Ibiza's Balearic beat movement. He's also heavily associated with Ambu, or Chill Out as it came to be known, thanks to his residency at Café Del Mar and a subsequent Road Renowned Mix series. Earlier this summer, Padilla's 40th on the island, I visited his home to discuss his recent album on international feel, So Many Colours, and why his relationship with Ibiza has been bittersweet over the years. You can find our full archive of exchanges on residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. An exchange with Jose Padilla, up next. So I make this your 40th year in Ibiza. Are you doing anything special to celebrate? <laughs> uh, if I do something special, well, not really. Try to have a nice life and uh, healthy and nice life and then enjoy myself, you know. Uh, I, I will do a party when I move houses. As you know, I have to move houses again. So then I will, I will celebrate it, yeah. My 40 years in Ibiza and my 40s years, no, and now it's 42 years DJing. It's, it's been over there, 40 years DJing. Exactly, because you came to Ibiza in 1976, but. 1975. Well, 75, 76, I don't remember exactly. Okay, uh-huh. but you were playing records before then. How did you discover DJing? How I discovered DJing? It's a nice question because. Um, the only music I can listen on those years, on, on the Franco dictator uh, years, was the radio. We have a radio station called Radio Juventud, a young radio is the trans- translation. So I didn't know DJs exist, only radio DJs. So I started to go to Lloret de Mar, Tosa de Mar, on the weekends, you know, with my pocket money, with a friend of mine, with Nene. To, to pull girls, to pull tourists. And with 15, 16 is when I discovered DJs in, uh, in La Costa Brava, the first English DJs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but because of the girls. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that you grew up under Franco's regime and I read that um, there were these, that some of the music you loved was actually banned under, under his rule and that you had these parties um, Loro Negro and La Ratanora, and you to hear certain things. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, what were those parties like? Well, before I see the real DJs in action, which these Costa Brava DJs they were all English, they just came with a box of seven inches and um, speech and play records. So I, we had parties like um, um, no legal 
that it was just as friends, friends from from school, from college, getting together in in a room, and and then they start to open like small places. I remember one called El Infiernillo Rojo with a red uh, inferno, La Ratonera, which is like a rat house, uh, Oro Negro, Black Gold, and m many others. I don't remember all now, but some of them it was only one deck one deck <laughs> so it's not and you know i start to to like like the, the action of the dj playing playing the records but when i discovered the real djs was in with two decks that was in um, in Lloret de mar so you were were you playing records at these parties yes um we had the first one we did a on the house of my old old barrio because i'm coming from a barrio that is so it was so poor that it doesn't exist anymore that it's been put down it was like illegal houses okay so it was my friend carmelo house so we dig which i know I, I think i never tell this to anybody we dig under the house and we made a room half of this size like uh, one and a half meter down but it was ground, it was just ground. And in one corner, it was like, we put two steps and a little corner, one deck, and like a few different color lights. And on Sundays, everybody was coming there because it was the only place. That's where I first played records for people, but I never talk about this, I don't know why. My memory is getting a bit, um, yeah, but it was so wet in there. <laughs> Basically, it was uh, we were dancing uh, half lentos, slow, and the other half, you know, we were, I don't know what, we were playing Creedence Clearwater Revival, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, and then, you know, the, the Bee Gees, before they were famous, and Beatles, and Rollins, and whatever we have at, at that point, you know, Tamla Motan, of course. So I'm curious, what was the criteria for a record being banned? Any bad words, I mean, um, till the early 70s, any cover, but I mean, Sticky Fingers was was uh, banned. Actually, the, 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 the original Spanish one, it goes for a lot of money. But any bad words or, you know, talking negative about uh, Catholicism or things like this or or if the cover was too like John Lennon record with Joko Ono that was banned things like this you know they were naked on the cover so I mean was there any kind of punishment for listening to these records or playing them no really actually we had it was too because Catalonia has been always like um, more uh, socialist because of the story behind you know and uh, it was the first like heavy rock band like uh, Machina. And then we have the Andalus rock with uh, Smash. But no, they didn't go to your house and put you in jail for, I mean, imagine if they have to go to every, they have to go to every single house, you know? But you, 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 were, you cannot play on the radio or nothing like this, or in clubs like, main clubs, which it was not many, but you cannot listen. Like Jetemon on Blue, that was impossible. I have an original copy because I grew up in France and uh, my sister, which is married with a French guy, bought me a copy, but... Uh, <laughs> Did it feel like you were living under an oppressive regime? Yeah, I mean, 
he was oppressive, but it was great because because you can do whatever you want as long as you don't, you know. The problem was long hair and strange clothes. That was the only problem. Uh, if you walk on the street with like, uh, you know, purpurine on your eyes or, you know, like a, a purple T-shirt that you wear, like everybody look, look at you. But apart from that, nothing was controlled like now. It was more free, you know, more freedom. And then you came to Ibiza in 1975, 1976. What reputation did the island have from from mainland Spain? I mean, what, what was your idea of it? Ibiza was... Nobody talk about Ibiza, no, no, even Formentera, no even nothing about Formentera. It was Palma de Mallorca and a little bit Menorca that we know. It, because these Balearic Islands, they were kind of forgotten by Franco regime. So nobody talk about I knew about this because the, my friend that from school that we just to go to Lloret de Mar to, for weekends, uh, he was a carpenter, apprentice, a beginner of carpenter, and they came here to do apartments once one year. I was 16, 17, and that's the first time I hear. He said, "You have to go there, man. It's full of chicks, <laughs> and they have great clubs and blah blah blah." So that's the first time I listen I listen about it. But in Midland, nobody talk about. It, it was like uh, undiscovered. When you arrived in Ibiza, did you feel like it lived up to its reputation? No, when I came here, um, I came here with 20, I was 20, 21. And uh, no, the this is the same year that Pasha opened, either was the first or the, or the year after the Pasha opened. So, cool was not, it didn't exist. Amnesia was uh, a place that hippies play, play life around a bonfire and um, and cool was uh, Club San Rafael, which was with orchestra on Sundays for the for the farmers to go go and, and dance with the suit, you know. So no, it didn't start there. Uh, the reputation about music, you know. I think the whole thing begin when cool opened, when cool started to do live shows and. You know, and then Amnesia started to rebuild with Alfredo. That was the first kick of musically and bringing club people on the island. Because we have, on those years, we have, I seen James Brown, Duran Duran in, in cool, you know. So yeah, that was really, Pasha was, uh, you know, the small room in Pasha, what you call it, yep. uh, on the right side, that was Pasha then, that's it. Nothing else. But it was already, you walk in there, you're, wow. You know, you know and I haven't seen nothing like the different kind of people and the, the way of dressing. And it was, it was the end of the hippie era, you know, so. Clubs like that would never have been allowed in Barcelona. No, no. As I say, in, in Spain, people don't, didn't know that uh, most of the people don't have any idea about uh, Ibiza exists. <laughs> so when you arrived here, did you feel... Like you belonged here? Did you feel like this was you? When I arrived here, I arrived in a big boat from, from Barcelona and uh, just seen from the top of the boat, when you come into the harbor, I see the old village, the old, and it was like, wow. I just feel peace and freedom. 
The next day, they took me to Lola's. Lola's is a club that it doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's next to, uh, in the old town, it's a cave. It's still there, but it's not open. And I went there, a small place. It's actually a cave, a stone cave. And first thing I, I see, because the Paco de Lucia album, Entre Dos Aguas, just came out. And it was like a revolution in, uh, in music in Spain. Wow, I can't believe mixing flamenco with jazz and percussion. And I just saw Paco de Lucia sitting just next to the door with like Cordobese hats and a tunica, falling down completely thrown with a whiskey in his hand. And I said, wow, I like this place. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that um, your outlook or your character changed much from from kind of coming here did it affect you personally my character now i was thinking more then just did it kind of have an immediate effect i think uh, we are who we are i don't know the the the, the thing with me and ibiza is a story of love or love and hate it's always been like this you know it's like right now i'm thinking of leaving i cannot i can't stand ibiza anymore <laughs> i've been thinking of leaving for a few years you know but yeah you more peace of mind, of course, and freedom. You don't care. If, I didn't care if I don't have money or have a job, or I don't have a job. I didn't get a DJ job till I came, when I came here. I started to work as a waitress, a painter of construction, and doing cement for buildings, anything. So because it was no guest DJs or nothing, you are you a DJ of a club. You work seven days a week, you know, normal wages, and so you have to wait till one come out to to get in the place you know i suppose i was asking if it um opened your mind up to kind of an alternative way of life that you didn't know existed alternative or you mean more into the yoga buddhism uh, yeah just the kind of that people well, were living in a way that you well it was of course we were in the era of the good drugs man you know what i mean a good good lsd and good uh, Nepal, Nepali hash, and and uh, it was a different way of um, of taking drugs as well. You know, it was more like uh, a tribe. You know, he was like um, how you say, you just don't take it and and go. You know, you just take it. It was a ritual. Yeah. You know, we we make sure that we had everything. We were all safe. We were, we're gonna have the right music. We're gonna have that, and uh, yeah, that opened my mind a lot. Yeah, of course, that's one of the things. Uh, the other thing was, you know, you just those days you used to go to Aguas Blancas to see the the sunrise, and you were on your own on the beach all day. There was no one there. You know, that freedom, you cannot have anywhere else, you know, and everything's so cheap. And and the, and the people, you know, you can meet. It. On those days was a lot of uh, US guys, people from all over the world, you know. Did the island feel busy? No, <laughs> it was no roads. There was only one road from uh, a small one and it doesn't exist anymore, from Ibiza to San Rafael, the rest was Caminos. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> You still see horses with uh, carros, I don't know how you call it. And a lot, I remember a lot of uh, Ibithankan ladies with the black dress and, you know, you don't see anymore now. Maybe if you go to north, you see one or two. So you soon started DJing in the clubs of San Antonio. Was San Antonio the main clubbing hub at the time? 
Well, in San Antonio was Nitos, Chuck Moon, or Playboy Two. That before was Playboy One, which is next to a, it was next to a Paradise, which it was no road. It was just right in the sea, and so they have to close when they make the road. And then Esparadis opened, and that was a, a four or five. It was another one, but there yeah, four or five little clubs, and in Ibiza it was a Pasha. Was there a kind of difference between the people going to Pasha and the people going to San Antonio? No, it was all, everybody goes everywhere. Actually, <clears throat> sorry, the people from Ibiza come more down to San Antonio because we have more chicks here. We have all the Scandinavian pe people coming in San Antonio and Dutch, so uh, yeah, they, all the Ibiza guys come here too. <laughs> so it was a mixture of the whole island was one one island. So it still had, I mean, like today, there were still places that certain nationalities would group and hang out. So you have the Scandinavians and the Dutch in San Antonio. And yeah, no, but it was all together. I mean, it was English as well, but the, the English people that come here on that was here on those on these days was more people that they, they bought the house they got retired they have the pension and musicians because it was a lot of uh, joe spoons and the kings but it was a lot of live music and but um, it was more scandinavian dutch german tourism than it changed into into english the last 15 years living here and hanging out with all these people did it feel like you were part of a kind of secret that no one knew about there were secret beaches and uh, se secret uh, house where we do a party and things like that. But now there is no, no more secrets anymore. <laughs> Actually, the magazine asked me, a couple of magazines, to tell them my 10 secret places, and I'm not telling you this. <laughs> the secret. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> so as a DJ, where were you getting your records from? When Basha started to grow up, to get bigger and bigger, and uh, Amnesia started to get better, Privilege, that was cool, all the clubs in San Antonio, uh, it was a couple of them in in uh, in the Bay as well, and uh, I think another one in Playa de Mbosa. We started to have record shops, uh, and we had uh, Flip Music, which was a French guy, they have in, uh, in the old town, and he was a music lover and he had all this import. It was like uh, amazing, all the, this import record. That was the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. So we were getting quite a lot. Then it was an American guy, which he was a model, an old guy that did modeling. And when we were, he was going to US, he just to bring a couple of boxes of um, disco, funky stuff. So we were buying to him. But... Uh, my first records to play in clubs when I was when I started to play in Barcelona, in Lloret de Mar, I was making friends with some of the DJs on Moby Dick, uh, Topo T Top, Trump. Uh, it was well clubs. I don't remember all the names. And when they were leaving, the, they were selling me or giving me some of the of the seven inches. So they were selling because they used them all the summer. So. They, just get new ones when they go to England. So that was, uh, I learned my way out to, to pick up some seven inches that nobody could have, you know? As a DJ in Ibiza, obviously you had um, rivals that were playing in different clubs. Was it competitive to kind of get the new records and have different records from everybody else? The only guy, it was a guy called Cesar, I think he died. 
he had problem with uh, she was the first DJ that really impressed me in Pasha and that was the only DJ they pay him to go to New York to buy to buy import records once a year so he was playing stuff that you cannot listen anywhere else only there and Pasha always has been for music really mm, very uh, special you know and then middle of the 80s when the house started to come 85 86 87 until the summer of love some of the DJs actually there's a couple of big DJs I'm not going to say their name they just to put on top of the label something for you don't see the record right which for I mean all the DJs we have a bit that when we discover something and we make we make it our record we don't want it we don't want other people to <laughs> but I always thought that uh, other people are not going to play like I play and I'm not going to play like other people play it's, you know you can do you can play different ways uh, in different times different moments were you were all the DJs on the island you Alfredo Cesar were yeah. you friends were you yeah Cesar PP Angel uh, Yeah, once more than others. <laughs> you obviously became known for your chill-out, ambient yeah. sessions and slower music. At that time, when you first started playing in clubs, were you already playing slower music? No. When I play in clubs, you have to play. The The thing is, like in Esparadis, which I was resident for four years, when there was no roof on the clubs, Esparadis was... Now it's beautiful, but it just to be even more, because it was like a garden with big trees and so you have to play from 10 till 6 alone every day one day off so the first two three hours there was no one there so I play slow stuff you know whatever and then I have to start to make people dance but you have more freedom to middle of the night uh, if I was tired or you just run out of ideas also run out of records because there was not so many records I just put all the lights down for a minute black and start with uh, Ultravox Vienna okay. and uh, put the lights on and the dance floor was full so it was a different days people have more patience and you know yeah. different story now you cannot do that you should do that they'll throw your tomatoes <laughs> um, so you were playing every night of the week was it Were you kind of doing a similar thing every night? Well, no. Most of the nights you have, of course, there were some mixes that you know they work, and you know when you after you've been six hours there, you know, okay, let's play these three together that work and save my ass, you know. But I was trying. I was going in the afternoon, and um, I have uh, uh, two cassettes, so I was practicing ma making sounds from birds or animals or sea or whatever mix them with the with the with the records and I have two Lenkos you know you never you don't know Lenkos no, no idea they were um, Swiss um, decks really really strong and you have to 33 45 78 like this like uh, I don't know you say and you can give it more and less speed as well it was so strong you can stand on the deck and you go around on On top, eh? 80 kilos. Yeah. So I was trying to change every day, you know, the, 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 
the music because otherwise I get bo- I get bored, you know. Me and the waitress and everybody will get like, come on. Yeah, man. I was thinking because these days DJs play once a week maybe and and they really struggle to kind of, it's a lot of digging records and there's a lot yeah. of finding new stuff if you're playing every night yeah. six hours. Well, that's where Balearic come from because you have to you have to get away eight hours every night or seven with whatever you have. You know, reggae, rock, whatever, you know, tribal, even salsa, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know. That was decent, yeah. Thinking about the, the kind of club scene back then, now it's a kind of very fierce industry. It's very financially driven. Was it Was it as much of a business back then? Uh, yeah, it's, it, of course, if uh, some guy did something like... But it was... Uh, romantic it was more romantic the owner were younger so it, was, it was like uh, nothing to do like now it was like if one day they lose money they don't care and the next day they will make more and it was not so much focus on like you know big now it's uh, factories you know money 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 what would you do in the in the off season in the winter now it's nothing just struggling and trying to find a job on the construction would it work the same as may till october it was longer the season yeah it was six months yeah yeah in 1986 you set up your own bar museo yeah. museo calabada yeah yeah um why did you set it up well that was that was uh, something that happened by casualty because I finished in Sparadis and then I went to the open um, macro disco, but they call it they just to call it macro discotecas, which he, he, he went on fire and and then I I ended up without a job. All the DJ jobs was taken, so I went to a club, a Calabadella club. They have a small club there, and I met this uh, Austrian guy. France, there was an artist, and I was living in his house. He was renting me a, an apartment there on the roof. One summer night, drinking with the chef of the Club Calabadella, France, and me, we decided to open a bar in his garden, 500 square meters. And we just did it. We just made this bar, which, which was, was amazing. Yeah. And you were DJing there? Yeah, I was DJing, I was waitering, I was. Uh, I was killing myself. I was doing everything. That was the thing because I was making the money, and Fran was coming to, because it was his house. And in those days, as I say, it was a romantic days. Yeah, okay, I love you. Yeah, this is gonna be great. You're great. Da, da, da. And he was coming at night, get the money, and one party. And in the morning, he was half the alcohol, alcohol gone, and uh, uh, the money gone. <laughs> how long? How long did it last? Two years. Two years. I think still is, exists in the on the other name. I'm not sure. He, he killed himself in the bar one uh, winter. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, he wow. shot himself. France. He, he was France. He was a manic depressive. And uh, the because I he want to open in the winter. I say, this is a summer bar, France. We can open in the winter. No, nobody. Just the the strong people is gonna come here. And me and Paco, the the chef, we can go and work, make some money, and you know keep an opening summer again. Paint. No, no, no. We have to open in the winter. And it was so depressive, you know. Like uh, one morning I was sleeping on that, and I was with uh, my girlfriend at the time, and I had uh, this dry. Yeah. And went down and he was on the bar. 
He actually shot himself on the bar with a brandy, bottle of brandy. It was like eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And then the next year I tried to, but everybody knew he shot himself in the bar. <laughs> so I tried to bring it up, but it was impossible. Wow. But it was like, really like the first bar, music, music and art. We have all the artists from the island. We did, you see the egg in San Antonio? Yeah. Well, we did two eggs like that, one on top of the other. 4,000 kilo material eggs with a tripod, like metal tripod, so one and another one, eight meters. And all the sculptures and painting, it was absolutely amazing place. What so, people would bring the art future? Have they? Yeah, all the artists in the islands put a piece or two pieces, paint a wall, or leave a uh, sculpture there. And we did it all ourselves, ourselves, and because Franz was an artist, so he knew all of them. It's a hill in Santa Gertrudis, which they call it La Montaña de los Artists Mountain. And uh, Franz James, Willie Neskens, all those guys, yeah. Fast forward a couple of years, you famously got your break at Café del Mar by selling some tapes in the market. I mean, why were people buying these tapes? That was before Café del Mar. Yeah, yeah. That was when I got kind of burned of the nightlife. Yeah. It was like, you know, because you have to work every day. And I was drinking and I was to stand up, you know, and doing shit. And I just, no, first I just decide to get a place in, in Nescana and do my own tapes. So I did uh, what it was, the acid jazz, soul, reggae, house, blah, blah, blah. And I think the first day I did that. A friend of mine, a painter, did me a really nice covers. I have them somewhere in the garage. And the first day, in half an hour, all gone. Well, then the next, I bought another machine, another copy, normal, you know, tape to tape. <laughs> I did 60, gone in an hour. So then I thought, why I don't ask Alfredo and Cesar? So I have a deal with them either. Say, so, well, I buy you the master, I give you 10,000 pesetas, which was a lot of money, or I give you one third of the, of the whatever clean money. I, I will sell them for 1,500, uh, 60 minutes tape, which was like 10 euro. It was, you know, decent money at the time. So it was a point where I was coming out of the market with more than half a million pesetas in my, on those years, it was like uh, three or 4,000 euro. And then the next year, three people start to do. They actually were buying my tapes, copying my tapes, changing the name. And then the third year, the police came and bye-bye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but were people were buying them to listen to at home? No, it was like uh, I have queues in front of, it was only two meters, like this sofa, little place, you know, the places yeah. in the market. And I have like four or five files of people with the money in their hands. <laughs> well, but... <laughs> But people give me one amnesia, one space, amnesia one, amnesia two, amnesia three. Were you, you playing? Know. Were you playing the tapes at the store? Uh, yeah, I have, I have a cassette, a cassette player. Yeah. But but people were buying them to listen to at home. Yeah, buy and listen at home in the car. In the there was no CDs, and give them as a present. Well, the same they do now, buying CDs in the airport. You know. They were good tapes. It was good mixes. I make sure that you know I get good mixes from the DJs. So, 
the British famously started coming over in the late 80s and early 90s to the island. I mean, how did you first notice the island start changing? It was very slow. We have uh, the first promoter, I think, that came into Pasha was black, called Black and White. It was a very slow, it was not so aggressive, and it was a different crowd, nothing to do. Like now in, in Amnesia, that was when Alfredo, when, when the Acid House, end of the 80s, it was a completely different crowd. Has, the spirit it has nothing to do with, with now. I was reading an article the other day about big guy here in San Antonio, which has got a lot of business, and was talking about his keeping the spirit. is gone 20, more than 20 years ago, mate. This is another spirit. Was there a specific moment or a specific period when you realised that things were really changing? Mm. That was end of 90s, beginning of 2000. That was when the old, the old thing, 2000, beginning of 2000. One big promoter start to come and fight to get a night, and then I start to steal legions from each other. You know, I have my own night in Passion Space called Moon Dance. Yeah, and I just to bring it was the first one aboard Sasha, Dewitt, uh, Tony Humphreys. Don't remember a lot. Harvey, a lot of uh, big names, but I wasn't paid them. It was like exchange for holidays. Okay, I give them a car. Rent a house, a nice decent house with swim pool, him and his girlfriend, one week, everything paid. And they were super happy, you know. Billy Nasty, Paul Daly, Darren Emerson and the names coming now. And many, many more. Yeah. When were you running that? When did that run? That was in the same years I was doing Cafe del Mar, <laughs> which is like crazy. And I was doing Pasha and Space after on the, you know, we closed Pasha an open space. And I was on the terrace and inside. So that was, and then the next day I have to go and work in Café del Mar. But of course I was much younger, I have much, much energy, but I end up the summer like, like with 20 kilos less. But it was too much. I wasn't ready and I didn't have really a team. And yet, you know, I, it was not worth it for, for the money I was making. But all my friends, all the DJs said, come on, Jose, keep doing it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all this for you to have a great holidays, you know, and me not getting a single penny. And so I stopped doing it. And then is when I make the decision to either go on with the Café del Mar and go work on the compilations and Café del Mar or be a promoter, and I decide to, to do the Café del Mar only. And around that time, to pursue the, the mixes, you moved to England, is that right? I moved to England, yeah, in when I started, in the beginning of 90s, all the winters. I lived in England for four years in the winter, in different places. Well, two years in London, Highgate, one year in Bristol, one year in Nottingham. So, yeah, because I was also DJing all over, with my car, so I went to Nottingham for for one reason. Because well, I have friends. All the DOI people were very good friends, but because it was close to everywhere by train and you know, in the middle of of England. So yeah. What did you think of Nottingham? Nottingham, I don't know. I I played last year in in the river. They have a club there. And it was good fun. I don't remember the name, but at the time it was a bit. 
not much going on, you know, <laughs> not much going on. Um, yeah, what's striking about those Cafe Del Mar CDs is they have this huge global appeal and they're very, um, they kind of appeal to this obviously sunset vibe that you get as very popular in Ibiza but also in Southeast Asia and places in Greece and yeah. the Mediterranean. What's it, what's it been like um, playing in Southeast Asia, for example? Oh, it was great. Actually, you know, I was not really aware of um, how big that was getting and uh, the the impact it was having in, in in people and places. I mean, I don't regret nothing I did in my past, but I wish I was more aware. But of course, it feels it feels, it feels uh, amazing. And this is a tricky one, you see, because your head goes, and then you start to do when you start to think you're famous and all that stuff. Um, it came very quick. The only thing I was lucky because I wasn't too young, but yeah. it came very quick, and I think uh, could handle it much better. But that's part of the story, and uh, that's it, you know. So, was there a period when the offers started coming in like very frequently, and you were flying all over the world? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have years that it was like every weekend uh, all over the place from South America, US. Um, Australia, I was going in a, in a road to Australia every year for nearly seven, eight years. And were you playing quite specifically kind of Café Del Mar style places, mm, sets? No, the thing is, it was a lot of festivals. And on those years, the, the, the first festivals, especially in Switzerland, Germany, uh, all these places that have a massive festival and they have a chill out tent everywhere. But now they don't have them really anymore because it doesn't bring money, basically, now. But on those years, it was a chill-out and Either I was playing in the chill-out or more mid-tempo stuff or deep house, you know. But no, you ca I cannot play sunset music in a bar with a terrace. People will get bored, you know. I have to play a bit more up-tempo. I mean, I have the stamp of a chill-out DJ, which sometimes it did me more bad than good because... People book me and uh, they ask me, hey, can you play more? I say, yeah, of course. I can play you a house set, no problem. <laughs> you mentioned earlier a love-hate relationship with Ibiza. I heard Alfredo once say that he was very frustrated when the English came and, and, and started taking over. He was one of the pioneering figures of the scene and he kind of wasn't respected for the work that he'd put into mm. it, perhaps. Is that something that you've found yourself at all? Oh yeah, I always feel feel that, and I and, and I had a few years that I struggled a lot. Now um, it's kind of things are much better for me because I have a very good album out, and you know I'm, I'm getting uh, you know presence again. It hurts when you did something, and and you I know how much love and I put, and how much energy and and research and everything in into that and then you see that everybody around you is rich and I don't even have my own house and this is reality I mean I don't blame anybody because I could save money in the good days you know that's what I what I was telling you before about being famous you think that it's gonna be forever you know what I mean and it's not like that you know what I mean but you know I, I hope I have a people next to me that 
But anyway, that was the way it was. But yeah, I, I, it hurts. It hurts that. Uh, but I have to tell you something as well, honest from my heart. Maybe we've been lazy as well, okay? Because the the industry or the DJ world now is going really fast, you know, with the, since the digital came in, the digital world, and um, you cannot sleep. You have to every day. You know, move on, move on, move on, move on, move on. Because now, you know, it's a competition. Not only a DJ, a any any job is a big competition. A competition is a jungle. So maybe the also we were not together, the DJs here. Everyone was like, so if we got together more, maybe, I don't know, that will help as well. But uh, basically, I think we were lazy. We sleep on. We sleep on, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because you'd think that when everyone came, you'd think that, oh, okay, we need a few DJs that know what they're doing and they'd be involved. But it's almost as if people just, they just brought their own new thing and just totally disregarded what had come before. Some of them, yeah. I mean, there is some people that, the, you know, I know Paul Okenford, we're very good friends and Paul Okenford, he always, you know, have big respect for everything, but because he lived that you know, and he's still one of the big guys, you know. But it's like now, um, you know, I want John DeWitt to make a remix of one of my tracks, which I know he can do a very good job, and I know he's a very good track, one of my album, and there's no way I can approach him, because, and, and I was the first person who brought John DeWitt here to have a gig in Re Renaissance, which nobody knew John. John was the second DJ and Sasha was the... But anyway, that's, that's life, you know? But it hurts, you know? I said, come on, John, why you don't answer me, man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if, if you don't want to do the remix, at least tell me, yeah, you know, yeah. it's okay, no problem. You know, and I have big, big respect because I think he's only the one of the few DJs who keep, through it to himself, to his style, and he's still up there, you know? So not all, all the guys with his age did the same, you know? Not all of them. Okay. When things started to change on a grand scale on the island, were you surprised at what was happening? Did you, did you see it coming at all? Not really, because it was more out of the island than in the island. And when you live here so many years, what happened, you don't go out anymore. You know, only, I mean, I was going out when people like Kevorkian at the time came and I wanted to see him because he was one of, I have a lot of respect and I like what he was doing at, at the time. You just got to see one certain DJ, but you don't go out. So I miss what was what was happening in a way, you know. I just was going doing my gigs, doing the compilations, doing my productions, and I missed it. I missed, I, I missed a few years. You know, but alcohol and drugs have a lot to do, a lot to do, a lot to do with that. I think Alfredo said something similar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned your new album. It's a very interesting project because it wasn't an artist album in the traditional sense. You brought these four producers on board to work with you. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the process a little bit? The process is, um, I met uh, Mark Barrett, the, the owner of, of uh, International Field through Andy Wilson from Sonica and um, then we we decide to to do a single called Solito which is including the and then he went down very well all the vinyls sold out because I think he, he pressed 
a thousand of each. Did some remixes with Wolf Muller and other people. So all sold out. Then uh, we thought, well, we don't do uh, an album. And the idea of the three producers came more from his side. I mean, I always want, I always collaborate with, with different people from his side. Um, and then we kind of choose, you know, I mean, at telephones, I suggest them hanging. And then he came up with uh, Wolf Muller and Tornado Wallace. And uh, they all came to my house in Santa Ines. And everything was born there, you know. Everyone came for a week. And he was working like. Um, the chemistry was amazing, because these kids is is incredible. But um, when they came to my house, the first thing I do is to know each other. We we eat, we talk for a few hours, listen music, and they just playing what I was playing thirty years ago. <laughs> and I have the original records at home, so it was already a, a a big link between them and me, you know. So it was already a big respect me for them for what they're doing, and them for me. So. It was very good. Everyone is different personality, different person, but the three of them, they and also Mark, uh, you know. Was it very important to you that they came to Ibiza and experienced the island and that was a part of it? Yeah, I think it's, it's important they came to my house and they see a little bit of the island. And they, I would like to do the same thing again, but more time. And because I like, when I produce stuff, I like to, to, to leave and macerate the track there. Because if I have this album, I'm really proud. It's, I think maybe it's the best thing I ever did. But I like more time <laughs> to produce. These kids, they're so fast. It's like, wow. You know, hey, hold it, man. You know, have a listen. Keep it there. Let's start a new one. And tomorrow we take it back and see we, we're missing something <laughs> how did the three producers and mark as well how did they differ in the way they okay worked? well let's start for hanging telephones telephone is uh i don't know it's mr happy himself he's positive jolly happy great guy you know really nice producer he's a big fan of the balearic music he's got big knowledge on even stuff that I didn't know, he showed me. We did some some solo. Louis Tornado Wallace is very quiet. He actually doesn't speak much. But he's, he's a scientist, the motherfucker. He's, uh, you know, I give him a direction, some glues, and because a couple of tracks we did, it was not, we were not completely, especially the dub one, I sure smell. That one, it was, we were not completely happy. We, we just we have only two and a half minutes, and he came back one week after with an amazing track. So he's more of a scientist, uh, Tornado. And Wolf Muller is the more sweet, the youngest. He's he's a he's a, he's a bit of a hippie inside him. Uh, he's a great uh, drum programming. Um, he's the he touched me a lot because he was asking me like uh, because I can be his father, you know. Uh, about tell me some um, Ibiza stories and stuff like that. So it was a great experience with the three of them. Yeah. With the four of them, sorry. <laughs> was it a 
collaboration you just work together in the studio and people would do different things bounce ideas off each other yeah everyone brings all diff- they all have a Mac um, but they all bring like uh, Hengi like to have his own keyboard and pedals and different toys and, you know so everyone bring a, a little bit of gear because they cannot bring a lot you know because he was in the house so we set up in the in the living room like here yeah every, everyone have his own way of, of, of working you know but you were very much kind of leading the... Directing. This is what I'm good at. My ear and the measure, the timing, the elements, you know, the, make sure that... It's only one track in the album that I'm not very happy because it sounds very thin, very, you know, digital. So to make sure that it's got that warmth, etc., etc. I mean, basically director orchestra you know I'm the one who's sitting on the sofa telling you what to do <laughs> when we last spoke you said that we've reached the near saturation point when it comes to making music yeah saturation. near saturation that there's there's no new music being made it's just kind of reinterpretations of old things I mean do you still agree with that <sighs> no it's a lot of new music uh, but it's uh, on the ground level I mean the, the new stuff ADM and bass and uh, some of the bass kind of like uh, it's house really but that EDM I, I bloody hate it and uh, electro as well uh, it's just music designed for massive sound system and massive for big shows in Las, in Las Vegas or the big clubs now but it's absolutely nothing new to me it's just overproduced overcompressed you know breaks uh, filters cheesy lyrics for me uh, I don't think that music will go down in history but that's me you know I'm not trying to be negative I don't know I mean I believe if uh, Bach listened what I I was playing he would say the same you know I don't know I don't know if maybe I'm wrong but I don't think it will go down to history actually they're fucking people's brains kids brains yeah (laughs) I suppose the argument is that people will start listening to EDM and then slowly they'll discover... But hopefully, hopefully, you know. And eventually they'll end up... Hopefully, at because it's going, it's going on for too long. But I think the music industry have a lot to do with this and all the media and the digital world, you know, have a lot to do, all the cheesy part of it, you know. Everybody wants to have the same clothes, that kind of clothes and that look and that cheek and that money and the boat and the private jet. It's all that... It's not. It's not healthy. Uh, so you've released the album. Yeah. What happens now? What happens this summer? Well, I said a few months ago I want to take a break, which I am really, but I have some compromises. And now I've been in um, in uh, Expo Universal in Milan doing a gig for a corporate, which actually was great. Amazing place they did there, and now I have a some other compromises. I, I do the Jockey Club, five dates, the first one, the end of the month, which that was signed. But really, I, I'm a bit exhausted. But it's more the traveling and uh, a couple of other experiences I have with one ex-manager. And all together, you know, it's a point, you know, I'm 61 now, so I need, it, I need time for myself. I want to move on a little bit and start to know my 2000 and want to make the step into the memory sticks. Yeah. (laughs) 
I have, I have to. I have to because I'm, but, but anyway, I still, I, I still play. I need to have something in my hand. You know, I don't know. It's like you know why you know this thing. But anyway, it has to be done. So basically, uh, I just need a break, but to be a better DJ, really. But I'm, you know, I'm still research every day. I have a Discox shop, a record shop, like three thousand records and you know i'm still with the music but i'm taking it more easy now and yeah you mentioned there that you're moving house but you also said that you're considering leaving ibiza and yeah have, and you have considered it for the past couple of years yeah, for for uh, whatever reason you know I'm, I'm still paying rent i don't know as i say i don't have my own house so here it's impossible to buy a house now i mean with the money i make you know if, i mean if i was doing gigs for a uh, hundred thousand, yeah, no problem. But uh, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> I don't think in that stage of my life, and I'm not gonna start to do hits. So, so no. But also because I want to be more close to my family, which they in Barcelona. So, I mean, I've been saying I'm leaving the island for a few years now, but I don't know. I'm I'm going back to you know I'm going back to live in a house that I just lived twenty years ago. I just have a car that I just have 20 years ago. I don't know, something is happening. So I don't know, maybe I'm staying here for another few years. <laughs> I used okay. to have a car like that one, red. I used to go to England with that Renault 4, do all up and down to Leeds, to you know Bristol from Stockholm train, and I have no heater. I used to go have a, a blanket on top of my snow and four with my records and everything from Spain to you know to to England with all the record winter clothes the decks because those days you got to have your decks to practice at home yeah and uh, now I'm kind of going back to the to the roots again 